So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And the second passage is 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. But yes, so we are looking at, this is part of an occasional topical series we do, exploring sort of our convictions as a church family and avenue about the local church and really what those convictions look like in practice in our day-to-day life and mission together. So we call that distinctives. We've done a few of them already this last year. Now, previously, these have been opportunities for us to reflect on convictions we sort of already have as a church, we already see as a church. We looked at church membership, what that is and why it matters, the way in which men and women together image God and serve Jesus together as a church family. But this week in Distinctives, we're exploring a role in the local church referred to in the New Testament that isn't currently in existence at Avenue. Or at least if it is in existence, we don't call it by this name. And that is the role of deacons or a deacon. And as elders, we've been discussing recently about whether we should look to appoint deacons at Avenue in the near future. So this morning, the plan is we want to look at a couple of key passages in the New Testament to help us understand what the role of a deacon is. I want to explore together how appointing deacons at Avenue could be a real help to us in our life and mission together. And then as Mike's already said, there's going to be a time for questions at the end. Home group's going to be looking at that at these passages this week. And also our February family meeting, we're going to have a part of that discussion to to talk and pray about deacons um, in February. So that's where we're headed with this whole topic. Now, I've just said we don't currently have name deacons at Avenue, but we've always had the option of appointing deacons actually written in our church constitution. I'm sure everyone could quote it um, if I asked them to, but if not, just in case, um, I've got it here on the screen. It is um, section 5.6. Yes, this is 
other positions of responsibility, the elders may appoint people to take delegated responsibility for an area of church life. We see this to embody the biblical principle of deacons. So guess your, guess your heart racing when we read from a constitution on a Sunday morning. But yes, yeah, so there have always been people at Avenue who've taken responsibility for different areas of our church's life. Whether that's finances, whether that's music, whether it's any number of things, we've just never called them deacons. Instead, we've called them things like ministry team leaders or equivalent, just great people, maybe. But we want to explore together what the Bible teaches us about this role of deacon and whether the time is right actually to start using that biblical term in our life and mission together. So for starters, what is a deacon? Mike's already sort of said it for us, but a deacon literally is a servant. That is what the word means in Greek. And the first thing to say about deacons in the, in the church as, as an office is perhaps, you know, not very excitingly, again, the Bible doesn't say a great deal about them. So the fact we haven't had deacons for the last 18 years at Avenue doesn't mean we're being hopelessly unbiblical. Actually, the Bible's got a lot more to say about the office of elders and overseers in the local church. And why doesn't the Bible say a lot about this office of deacons? Well, I think one reason is that every Christian is called to be a deacon. So if you put your faith in Jesus this morning, you're already a deacon in the broadest sense of the word. Again, that Greek noun is diakonos. It appears 29 times in the New Testament. And usually and correctly, it's just translated simply as servant. So to be a deacon, a diakonos, is to be a servant. And Jesus calls everyone who follows him to be a servant, a servant of him and a servant of other people. Just a couple of examples of that in the Gospels. Matthew 23, 11 to 12. The greatest among you will be your servant, or deacon, diakonos. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then Mark chapter 9, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anybody who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant or deacon of all. So in that sense, everyone who follows Jesus is a deacon, a servant. And why is living as a servant so vital to the life of a Christian? Well, that's because Jesus is the ultimate deacon. Again, Mike's read this out for us, but Mark chapter 10, the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest among them. And Jesus says this to them. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant or deacon. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man, Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, that word to be served, to serve, that's from that Greek root of diakonos. It's the verb to deacon. Son of man didn't come to be deaconed, but to deacon, to serve, we, hear, we learn here. So Jesus, he is the ultimate servant, the ultimate deacon. And if we want to follow Jesus, learn from him and live with him, we all need to learn what it looks like to serve him and to serve other people as part of our worship of him. So the vast majority of cases in the New Testament, diakonos, it's just a term for every Christian to be a servant. However, in a small handful of passages, the word is used in a more technical sense to refer to someone occupying a particular role in the life of the church. And actually deacon 
is one of only two offices the New Testament establishes for the local church. The other one is that of the elder or the overseer. And there are three passages where explicitly deacons have an official role in the life of the church. Romans 16 verse 1, Paul writing, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Kencre, I'm going to say. Philippians 1 verse 1, the opening of that letter, Paul writing, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And then the passage we had read to us a minute ago, 1 Timothy 3, where Paul is teaching Timothy about the qualifications for deacons. So actually in one sense, it's a small number of passages, but it's clear that deacon was a recognized role in the New Testament church. They seem to be people who work closely with the elders and overseers. And it's a role given to the church by the God who loves us and he wants to build his church in this world through us. So actually, it is a rule we need to pay attention to. And in addition to these three instances, there's also another passage we had read to us, Acts chapter 6, which doesn't mention the office of deacon directly, which has been seen throughout church history as the origin story of the office of deacon in the early church. So Acts chapter 6, we're going to see, shows us how deacons can be a gift to God's church. And that passage in particular shows us the role of deacons in the life of the church. Deacons are in the church to respond to important needs in the church, to promote love and unity in the church, and to enable the church to focus on its mission to make disciples for Jesus in this world. So deacons respond to important needs, they promote love and unity, and they enable the church to focus on its mission. So let's look at Acts chapter 6 together now, if you want to flick open that one again. Now, this section of Acts, like the rest of Acts, it records for us a unique moment in church history, but also like the rest of Acts, it's been recorded for us to give us principles to help the life and mission of the church in any era of history. And I don't know how well you know the book of Acts in the New Testament. We've actually not looked at it for many years um, at Avenue, but Acts, it's a remarkable book about the risen Jesus giving the Holy Spirit to his disciples and then sending them out into the world to, as his witnesses, to build his church, to make disciples for Jesus. And when you read the early chapters of Acts particularly, it's just this whirlwind of what to us just looks like success, success, success. So the church, church life feels simple. They're sort of devoted to each other. They love each other, Acts 2. The gospel's spreading. People are becoming Christians all the time. The church is unified. And you read Acts sometimes as a 21st century Christian going, wouldn't it be great to be alive back then when it was simple and amazing and successful? But actually, you read a bit more closely and you discover there were plenty of real threats to the life of the early church in the book of Acts. If you flick over to Acts chapter 4, just a couple of chapters before the bit we're looking at, that threat was persecution from the outside. That was the Jewish religious leaders persecuting the church, dragging the apostles into prison. And the way the early church responded to that was to call everyone to pray. Corporate prayer was the answer. Then Acts chapter 5, the problem, the threat, if you like, is, is corruption, unrepentant sin within the church. We read there about a couple called Ananias and Sapphira who try to trick the apostles saying, yeah, we've given you all our money, keeping it back for themselves. And the response the early church makes there is to call them out in it. It's actually an early form of church discipline, calling out Ananias and Sapphira's unrepentant sin. 
So there's threats from outside, persecution, threats from inside, sort of corruption. But Acts chapter 6, a new threat emerges, the threat of division and distraction. Division within the church, between different groups in the church, and distraction from the mission of the church. And Acts chapter 6 shows us how the church responds to those challenges. So Acts chapter 6, the, the problem they're facing is the church was growing. Verse 1, look at that again with me. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Okay, we would say it's a great problem to have, but it's still presented as a problem here. Now, a couple of things to point out. The writer of Acts, a doctor called Luke, now refers to everyone who trusts in Jesus as a disciple. That's verse 1, the number of disciples are growing. So disciples are no longer just those who were with Jesus in his earthly ministry. No, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is now called a disciple, a learner of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus. Okay, we've been seeing that throughout Mark's gospel, but it's really good to see that here in Acts as well. But the other thing to point out is that actually when Luke says the number of disciples was increasing, the scale of that is just remarkable. Because if you read over the early chapters of Acts and do some adding up, there were probably around 8,000 believers in the church in Jerusalem by this point. 8,000. This is a growing church, growing in scales we don't know much about in our era of history. But actually what Luke tells is a growing church is a challenging church. It's a challenging place to be. And one consequence of this growth is that some of the widows were being neglected. Verse 1 again, it tells us that the Hellenistic widows, that is, widows from a Greek background rather than a Hebrew background, they're still Jewish, but they're more Greek in their culture, they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Verse 1. So in the ancient world, widows were extremely vulnerable. They had no source of income if they didn't have relatives near them. There was no welfare state to care for them. They had to rely on the help of other people. And if you were a Jewish widow and you'd become a Christian, well, chances are you'd been cast out of the synagogue for following Jesus. So now the early church has to take care of these widows. This is a serious problem. These widows need help. And God throughout scripture loves and cares for widows and orphans specifically as an expression of his character. So the problem facing the church here is a massive one and they need to take it seriously. In addition to that, there's, there's a racial tensions here. Can we see that the Hellenistic Jews, those from a Greek background, or maybe accusing the Hebraic Jews, those from a Hebrew background, of overlooking their widows deliberately. And whether it's deliberate or accidental, it is getting tense in the church. And the result is there is grumbling and the threat of division. People are genuinely unhappy here. Again, it's funny to see that because Acts, we just think it would have been amazing to be in the church in Jerusalem. But actually, people are really unhappy here. The word translated complain in verse 1, it's the same Greek word used in the Greek Old Testament to describe the children of Israel in their wanderings in the wilderness, when often it's translated grumbling. So the children of Israel have been set free from slavery in Egypt, led by Moses out into the wilderness, and just told us about it. They, they're headed to the promised land, but they start grumbling against Moses and Aaron and against God himself that he's not caring for them. He's not providing enough food 
for them. There's, there's a real alarm bells ringing here. Grumbling for God's people in the Old Testament was a serious problem. And unless the early church does something here, the early church is in danger too. Why? Well, because a divided, grumbling church is not a church committed to growing as disciples of Jesus. A divided, grumbling church is not a church committed to making disciples for Jesus. See, a divided, grumbling church is in danger of losing its true identity and its true purpose, to live as disciples and to make disciples. And something has to be done here. And so then Luke goes on to tell us what the solution is. First part of the solution, verses two to six, the whole church was gathered together. So the 12 apostles, they don't look to solve this on their own. They involve the whole church in finding a solution. And then the apostles say something really remarkable. They say, we need to commit ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they're saying, this is a really serious problem, everyone, but actually there is a danger that we will get distracted by dealing with it. Verse two, they say, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, now to wait on tables there, that uses the Greek word diakonos, to literally to serve tables. And the apostles say, we need to stay focused on the church's spiritual health, on the whole church's ongoing discipleship of Jesus. So verse four, instead, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, the ministry of the word there, that's also that word, diakonos. So literally, the apostles say, we need to commit ourselves to serving you with the word of God, to serving you by praying for you. And that's really important to see. It's not as if the apostles are refusing to serve here, as if that's somehow beneath them. No, they're convinced they need to be serving, but in the right place, serving with the right focus, which for them is by praying for the church and by serving the church with the word of God. See, the apostles are clear here. No one will grow as a disciple of Jesus without prayer and the ministry of the word. And no one will be made a disciple for Jesus if we're not praying and if we're not sharing God's word with them. God's spirit works in our lives as we receive his word and as we ask him to change us in light of his word. And the apostles commit themselves to these things. But then there's still a problem because the needs of these widows are really important. And that's why the apostles take the initiative to find a solution. And in this instance, the solution is that the church chooses seven men to come up with a solution. That's the solution the apostles come up with. They, they involve the whole church in it, but actually they say, these, appoint these men, and then they will work out what to do. And I notice a few things about the seven men chosen by the early church here. There is a huge emphasis on their character, Okay. So, so the way the apostles told me, the apostles say, these men need to be of good repute, full of the Spirit. So they're committed to living by the Spirit, in dependence on God's Spirit, and full of wisdom. That is committed to living their lives marked by the fear of the Lord, listening to God. And we're going to see later in the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy, Christ-like character is always more important than gifting. We don't learn that Stephen has a really good sort of falafel business or that Philip's a great caterer. We're not told they come with particular gifts to deal with this problem. 
We are told they are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Their character reflects something of Jesus. We're also, we're also told really they need to be problem solvers. Again, they're not told what to do or how to resolve the problem. No, they're appointed and said, you come up with a solution. But again, that's what it means to be full of wisdom. Wisdom in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, is the ability to make good decisions in everyday life. And that is what these seven men needed. And the other thing I want us to see here is that these seven men cannot hope to solve this problem on their own. Again, you do, you do the sums. There's around 8,000 believers in the church in Jerusalem with only seven men appointed to ensure all the widows are being fed. That is not something they can do on their own. These seven will need to organize and encourage the whole church to get involved however they can in loving and serving these widows. And the result of all this, Luke tells us in verse 7, the result is that the word of God spread, says Luke. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So we're not told directly, but we presume the result is the widows are now fed. That need has been met. The result is the church is united, both Jewish background and Greek background, and the word of God spreads. And again, none of these things is a given at the beginning of Acts 6. It's an amazing outcome we're meant to see. By the leaders and the whole church working together, an important need is met. There's love and unity among the believers, and the church is enabled to focus on its mission, to spread the word of God, to make disciples for Jesus in this world. So what do we learn from Acts chapter 6? in relation to this role of deacons. Again, we need to be really clear. They're not identified, these seven men, as deacons anywhere in the passage. But throughout church history, this has often been seen as the blueprint for deacons in the life of the church. So whether or not we see these seven as the first deacons or not, there are amazing principles for the church life and mission in whatever area and region and season of history we're living in. And the principles are these, that God calls all his people to serve him, and he calls different people to serve him in different ways. Again, the whole church is involved in coming with a solution to this problem. We see the priesthood of all believers, the body of Christ, every member ministries at work here. Again, it's a beautiful picture of church leaders and the whole church working together. That's a real principle we see in Acts 6. But also, if God's church is going to grow, leaders need to be committed to prayer and the ministry of the Word. See, if we're going to grow as a church here at Avenue, as disciples of Jesus who make disciples for Jesus, then we need to listen to and be shaped by God's Word in our life together. We need to ask God in prayer to change us and empower us by His Spirit. And we need to have leaders who are committed to both prayer and the ministry of the Word of God in our life together. And if God's church is going to grow alongside those leaders, the church needs people to respond to other important needs. Acts 6 says to believers anywhere in history, we all have a part to play. We each have a part to play in God's mission, in God's church. 
So that's some of the big picture principles here. Now, why are we talking about deacons at Avenue at this stage in our life together? Well, there's a couple of very practical, pragmatic reasons we are. Um, We currently have a smaller eldership than we have had for some time. There's just four elders at Avenue at the minute. I think a big one is we're still feeling some of the effects of COVID-19 and lockdowns, actually. So again, at the height of lockdown a couple of years ago now, but it was a small number of people had to work hard to keep things going for the rest of us. It was physically impossible for everyone to be involved, for everyone to gather and come up with solutions like they do in Act 6. And even though we're a good few years down the road from that, actually, that culture of everyone having a part to play is one we want to grow as a church at Avenue. And we're exploring deacons to go, how could having some identified people to encourage and organize us in that way, how could that help grow that culture? But the big reason we're talking about deacons is is basically we want to grow as a church. We want to grow as disciples of Jesus who make disciples for Jesus. And that picture of the Christian life as discipleship, one where we, we learn more of Jesus, we love Jesus and one another, we live out Jesus' call in this world, well, we, need, we each need to play a part in that focus, staying as our focus. If we want to learn Jesus, we need to be praying about that, to be listening to his word. If we want to make disciples, we need to be praying about that and listening to God's word, whether that's making disciples within our family members, perhaps parents with their children, in our marriages, with our friends, in our neighborhoods, with our work colleagues. What does it mean to make disciples for Jesus? The only way we learn is if we ourselves are growing as disciples of Jesus. And what this rule of deacon, what this word diakonos tells us, is we need, if we need to grow as disciples of Jesus, we need to grow in love and service of one another, so that we display the character of Jesus to one another within the church, and so we display the character of Jesus to the world outside watching us. You see, we love and serve because Jesus first loved and served us by humbling himself, becoming one of us, living among us, and ultimately humbling himself again to death, and not just any death, death on a cross And growing of love and service of one another is vital to us growing as disciples of Jesus in this world. See, we want to explore appointing deacons at Avenue because at its best, deacons, they they respond to those important needs in the church, promote love and unity in the church, and enable the church to focus on its mission to make disciples for Jesus. We want to think, what about this category from the New Testament where people who organize and encourage using the gifts God has given them, working closely with the elders so that together we create a greater culture of love and service of one another in our life and our mission together. So if that's something of the big picture of what God's gift of deacons can be to a local church, I guess some of the the detail of that, well, who can serve as a deacon. And that's our second pass. We're going to look at this really quickly. And then in our home groups this week, if you're part of a home group, as Mike said, if you're not, talk to him. But if you are, hopefully we're going to look at this in more detail this week. But yeah, so 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13, if you want to flick that open on your device or in your Bible. 
And again, we're not going to look at this in detail, but I think if you want to describe the people you want to serve as deacons in a local church in their simplest form, well, they are people who love Jesus and who love Jesus' church. They're people who love Jesus and who love Jesus' church. So as with Acts 6, Paul in 1 Timothy 3, he puts nearly all his emphasis on a potential deacon's character. There's more emphasis on who a deacon is than what a deacon does. So Paul, writing to Timothy about the church in Ephesus, he says, well, is this a Christian who loves Jesus in a way that transforms the way they live? Verse 8, are they worthy of respect? Are they sincere? Are they self-controlled? Is that all visible in the way they relate to other believers? Verse 9, do they keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience? Well, then Paul says, these are potential deacons. And in verse 9, again, it's quite striking. Like Elders aren't required to teach. Earlier in, in, in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says that is what elders are required to do. They must be able to teach. Deacons aren't required to do that, but they are required to be believers in Jesus who hold fast to him. They're required to be people who keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, of the mystery of Jesus revealed to us in his coming into our world. They need to be people who trust Jesus and who seek to grow in their love of Jesus. There are people who love Jesus and who love Jesus' church. The other thing we learn about deacons here is that deacons can be qualified men or qualified women. So again, we looked at 1 Timothy in detail last term. You can have a listen to that on the website or at the podcast. But and Paul seems to limit the rule of elder overseer to qualified men in 1 Timothy 2 verse 12, but qualified women do seem to serve as deacons in the New Testament church. And some really quick reasons and evidence for that. So there's no passages that forbid women to serve as deacons, no equivalent to 1 Timothy 2 verse 12 for deacons. There's a strong case actually that verse 11 of 1 Timothy 3 is specifically qualifications for women deacons. So some translations translate it as wives or their wives, but there's no there there, if that makes sense. It, it could be wives, could be women. It seems to be women. The equivalent verse for male deacons is verse 12. And then if you look at verses 8 to 10 and verse 13, it seems to refer to both men and women who may be serving as deacons. Um, you can ask a question about that later if you, if you need to. And then a really big one is the only named deacon, clearly named as a deacon, in the New Testament is a woman. It is Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chenkri. So this seems to be an official role Phoebe had in that church. And then she went and delivered the letter to the Romans on behalf of Paul. And then just from church history, women seem to have served as deacons or deaconesses from the earliest records of the church. So who can serve people who love Jesus and who love Jesus' church? They can be men or women who meet these qualifications. And you take that picture from Acts 6 and add there to this, and they seem to be, they're people who respond to important needs in the church and people who want to see the church grow and flourish. So a deacon is a servant of God's people. In 1 Timothy 3 and Philippians 1, they work closely with the elders. They're not a separate power base to the elders. And some of these deacons can go wrong and have gone wrong in church history when you've got the elders over here, the deacons over there, and they're just clashing with each other. 
But I see knew the deacons and elders work closely together in the New Testament picture. They are partners, co-workers with the elders and the whole church so that the church might grow. So the church might be strengthened as a place where disciples of Jesus grow in their love and knowledge of Jesus and where they then are spurred on to make disciples for Jesus in the places Jesus has placed us. So I hope we can see just from this really quick picture of these different New Testament passages, why we want to explore appointing deacons at Avenue. Again, it seems from this New Testament picture that deacons, they're there because there are important needs in the church. There are needs that need to be met to promote love and unity and love and service. And they enable the church to focus on its mission to make disciples for Jesus by freeing up the leaders to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. It's an attractive picture when you look at it, but again, it's one we want to explore together. Just as we near the, near the end, what are some of the areas that um, de- deacons could potentially serve at Avenue? There's a list on the screen there in no particular order, but these are different things we've been chatting about as elders. So things like pastoral care, and visiting people. We think of things like mission to Clarendon Park, some of the events we want to do, some of the ways we want to reach out, supporting our missionaries overseas. We've got um, three families and one individual currently either overseas or about to go overseas. We want to support them well as a church. Could a deacon help us do that? Safeguarding, compassion ministries, very much like the Acts 6 picture. Then administration, finances, men's ministries, music, tech. There are other things we could add to those lists. But again, would there be value in some people being given the responsibility to oversee those things in partnership with the church and with the elders? Again, we'll talk about this at the February family meeting, if you're around then. But as we finish our time together this morning, we move into a time for questions. Let's just remind ourselves where we began. That as we talk about deacons as a, as a role in the church, We always need to remember that every Christian is called to be a deacon, to be a servant of Jesus and a servant of people. We are called to serve the people around us sacrificially as an act of worship to Jesus, as an act of witness for Jesus. So if the people we're serving are already Christians, they will be encouraged by our love and service as an expression of Jesus' love and service to them. And if the people we're serving aren't yet Christians, then they will see something of the character of Jesus, the one who first loved and served us. Again, when we think about service, we have to listen carefully and closely to Jesus and his words on this, because otherwise we get it badly wrong. So let me read it again from Mark 10, where we started this morning. Jesus speaking to his disciples, struggling, arguing over who should be the greatest. And he says this, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, deacon. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me pray briefly and then I'll hand back to Mike.
Lord Jesus, we worship you for your love and service of us. We worship you that even though you are the Lord of heaven and earth, you humbled yourself, entered our world, you loved and served us ultimately, supremely at the cross. But amazingly, you love and serve us day by day, moment by moment, as you pray for us, as you fill us with your spirit, as you assure us that we are your brothers and sisters, that your father is now our father. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and service of us. And would you show each one of us the areas in life where you're calling us to love and serve you and love and serve the people in our lives. And Lord, corporately as a church family, as we think about this office of deacon, and if there'll be value in appointing deacons in the life of our church, Lord, guide us by your spirit. Help us to understand what this role is all about. And Lord, would you just lead us in a way that enables us to meet those needs there are in our church family, to promote love and unity among us, and to demonstrate to the world around us the love and service of Jesus through our love and service of the people around us. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.